0: You're listening to Danvers Audio, a podcast by the Council on Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. Thanks for listening. My name is Scott Corbin, and I am privileged to be sitting here with Evan Lino. Evan is the Assistant Professor of Ethics, the Bobby L. and Janus Eklund, Chair of Stewardship, Director of the Center for Biblical Stewardship director of the Richard Land Center for Cultural Engagement and chair of the Ethics Department at Southwestern Seminary. Evan, thanks so much for joining us.
1: It's a joy to be here with you.
0: So, Evan, um, thanks so much for joining us on Danvers Audio. I wanted to go ahead and get started. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about your work and how you came to want to pursue doctoral studies in ethics?
1: Sure. Um, I attended Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary, went there um, with the expectations of uh, completing an MDiv, uh, maybe pursuing doctoral studies, but really with a focus on... um, Pastoral ministry, mm-hmm. and uh, my very first semester, I took uh, the basic Christian ethics course uh, with um, the man who would ultimately be my PhD supervisor, Mark Liederbach. Mm-hmm. Uh, fell in love with the field, mm-hmm. continued taking classes in it, and um, and when I uh, as I approached the end of my MDiv and um, had taken a, a number of ethics courses and started looking at uh, PhD studies, I uh, started asking the question: What do I want to do? What what field? Um, do I want to uh, pursue? And um, and it really came down to the question of what, in my mind, I determined was going to be the field that was most a- applicable to life in the local church. Mm. And and when I looked at it, I had interest in New Testament, and I had interest in ethics, and um, and even though there's obvious application of uh, in-depth study of the New Testament and Greek in uh, in the local church, I realized the questions everybody were was asking.
2: Mm. Uh,
1: they all related to ethics, hmm. and uh, and so I pursued that, and uh, and haven't regretted it one second uh, since then, yeah. and um, and enjoy uh, living and working in that field. Um, it creates a host of challenges. Um, hmm. It's I believe it's one of the most um, uh, integrated fields within theological studies, hmm. uh, where you have to know something about. Everything pretty yeah. much uh, yeah. you have to you have to be able to do Greek and Hebrew and exegesis. You have to know church history. You have to know theology, mm. and um, and so being able to integrate all that in and asking and being able to answer the questions that people are asking mm. that essentially look like can I do blank, mm. or should we do blank, mm. um, or how should I think about this mm. particular subject, and uh, and so there's always something new around the corner. There's always a new issue to address. Um, or something to rehash from the mm-hmm. past that has kind of cycled out mm-hmm. and now is uh, is flowing back in. And, uh, and so I, I really enjoy it and uh, enjoy my classes, yeah. enjoy the discussions that I get to have in classes. And I uh, always get a little worried when uh, people uh, ask, uh, they come up to me and they say, well, you're an ethics professor, I have a question. That's, <laughs> that's always the lead-in for this conversation is going to take a while.
0: Yeah, that's right. Or this conversation is going to be really hard. That's so, right. So, Yeah. So it it was interesting, you said that you originally went to seminary because you were thinking about doing pastoral ministry. Mm -hmm. Um, And kind of as you were going, you recognized that part of the issue of pastoral ministry is thinking ethically about decisions, thinking about the kind of the counseling room um, as you're meeting with people from your congregation. And so um, kind of a related question is you have, your blog is titled Ethics as Worship. And so I thought that that was interesting that that you um, were viewing this as kind of an extension of pastoral ministry. And so there might be some people who hear ethics as worship and think what in the world does ethics have to do with worship? And so um why should Christians care about ethics? Why should they view it as kind of an outlet for worship? Um and uh and how does thinking ethically interface with worship in particular? Yeah,
1: um I the title of my blog was uh, completely taken from uh, Mark Lederbach's, uh classes and okay. and my studies at Southeastern. Um uh, but uh really it comes back to a perspective of looking at uh, 1 Corinthians 10:31. Mm. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Mm. So from the most mundane things, like eating and drinking, mm. to the most complicated life decisions that we have, mm. it is all supposed to bring us back to a focus of how does this glorify God? And so that's really the question. In many respects, that's, that's our lives living out as worship? Mm. How is it that we're going to glorify God with our lives? And so what I challenge my students and, and opportunities that I have to, uh, to speak with individuals is, is to get them to ask the question, what is this that I'm doing or what is this mm. that I'm thinking going to... How is it going to bring God glory? Yeah. And how would living out these ideals, these principles, these virtues, um, how does this point others... To to Christ and uh, and away from away from ourselves, sure. and so that's this whole it's this whole idea that what it is that we do. When people think about ethics, they generally think right and wrong. Mm-hmm. They think behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, the the field is bigger than that, but mm-hmm. that's the world in which we live. When you say ethics, yeah. that's what people think. And so, what I want them to think then is, right and wrong. What it is that I do. Mm-hmm. All right, how is that an act of worship?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: How is it that these things are going to glorify God? Mm-hmm. And if I can't do this particular thing as an act of worship, then perhaps I should rethink whether I should be doing that in the first place.
0: Mm, That's good. And it's interesting, too, because I think that um, at least one of the things I've seen with my generation, I'm a millennial, I'm like right in the middle of (laughs) the millennial generation. And it's interesting because there's there's a sense in which there's a lot of people who grew up with kind of these evangelical convictions but in some ways are not necessarily knowing how to think, how to, uh, how, to, um, how to put those practices to work, how to think what does this actually practically look like in terms of my life, and not just in terms of my life, but my neighbor. Uh, and so one of the things too that um, I was curious is uh, you've written a lot on ethical issues related to sexual ethics. Mm-hmm. And it seems to me that one of the key issues for this generation, for kind of just this time and place that we're in right now, is related to sexual ethics, and um, in particular, I was curious um, why should Christians care about sexual ethics, and also too, why should they care about how those sexual ethics interface with religious liberty issues? Okay.
1: Uh, well, first of all, I think Christians should care about sexual ethics because the Bible talks about sexual ethics. Yeah. Uh, I'm I'm amazed uh, when I when I bring these topics up with with people who who aren't necessarily looking for. Uh, what the Bible says about sex and sexuality, they don't realize how much the Bible speaks to it. Mm. Um, and now, of course, it's primarily speaking about sex and sexuality within the context of marriage. Mm-hmm. So that then forms the foundation for which we talk about sexual ethics, is, is the idea of marriage and God's design for marriage, mm. which is foundational um, to the creation narrative. Mm. You go back to Genesis 1 and 2, we see that uh, God creates man in his image. He creates him male and female. He tells them to be fruitful and multiply. And then in Genesis 2, we see that uh, he says uh, that it's not good for the man to be alone. He creates a suitable helper for the man. Um, He presents her to Adam. Adam responds saying, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. And then we see the the key marital verse in all of scripture, really in Genesis 2.24, yeah. says, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Um, Jesus quotes that, Paul quotes that. Uh, so we see we see Genesis 2.24 appearing here. And that forms the foundation of society. Mm-hmm. The marriage does. And it forms the context in which we can talk about sexual ethics. Yeah. So when we when we speak of sexual ethics, we're always speaking from a biblical standpoint. We're speaking about um, sex within the context of marriage, mm-hmm. and so any any form of sexual intercourse outside of of marriage is is condemned in Scripture. Anything that uh, moves away from God's uh, design for marriage um, is is viewed as a violation of God's standards. Uh, not only for marriage, but also for sexual ethics. Um, now, when it relates to religious liberty, this is where we're seeing the biggest challenge in our society today uh, to a biblical sexual ethic mm. um, and, a, and a biblical understanding of marriage. Mm. Um, so what we see is uh, people uh, making arguments for variations on marriage. So we have the the recent Supreme Court decision back in the summer um, of Obergefell v. Hodges um, redefining marriage. And uh, even there in the uh, in the majority opinion, uh, Justice Kennedy notes that, that people of faith and goodwill should be allowed to continue to hold their views yeah. on marriage despite the fact that we're redefining marriage. Um, but none of the dissenting judges uh, thought he really cared enough about religious liberty um, and was really concerned about it because they all bring it up. Yeah. And in fact, uh, uh, Chief Justice Roberts really takes Justice Kennedy to task mm. on the challenges to religious liberty that will come for those who do not adhere um, to the new orthodoxy of society related to marriage and sexuality. Mm. Um, and so these are the challenges we're gonna see, but in reality, um, our uh, a, a, a robust doctrine and robust policy of religious liberty actually promotes family, it promotes mm. life, um, it will it will ultimately demonstrate itself as the church uh, lives out a biblical understanding of marriage and sexuality. It will actually demonstrate a that this is the this is the ethic that will result in the uh, most stable society.
0: Yeah, and it's interesting too, even thinking about how the family is kind of this nucleus out of which societies are then mm-hmm. built, which kind of seems like one of the major kind of objections to people in saying, hey, if we're going to redefine this thing. We need to understand that really society itself is kind of bound up with this because the way the family goes is there's a sense in which it's like what happens within families is that citizens are cultivated, which then means um, implications for larger issues with our with our culture. So Yeah,
1: yeah. children don't pop out of the womb yeah. as fully productive, useful members of society. Yeah. They have to be trained. Mm-hmm. They have to be brought up. Well what even secular research tells us is that the best place to move from infancy to an adult member of society who is responsible, who produces goods or services and all all those things, the best place for that process to happen is in the home of the married mother and father
2: Mm.
1: of that child. Mm. And so... If we lose the stability of the family in our society, we actually lose the stability of our society. And I, I think we're reaping some of yeah. some of the whirlwind right uh, now as a result as a result yeah. of some of our anti-marriage policies, uh, mm. particularly here in the United States, um, starting in the '60s and moving forward. Um, we're actually seeing the result of that now with with high rates of um, uh, dropout from education, so high school dropouts, violence. Uh, broken homes, the, uh, the financial consequences of uh, family instability, all those things are the results that we're, we're reaping yeah. from several decades of, uh, of bad yeah. policy.
0: Yeah. Now, just real fast, if there's someone who wants to read more about some of these things, what are some resources you would recommend?
1: Uh, Related to marriage and family. Related to marriage and
0: family and kind of how, especially how that interfaces with society and things like that. Some
1: of the best material out there that you can find comes from the National Marriage Project, which Mm. is housed at the University of Virginia. Brad Wilcox Wilcox, uh, heads that up. In fact, I uh, just was in a session where yeah. he was speaking just a little bit ago, um, and uh, that's some of the best material, and, and what he's going to be looking at it from is a, is a sociological perspective of mm-hmm. here here's what we see, here's what the research is showing us as relates to family, and what his uh, research is demonstrating is that the most stable societies are the result of stable families yeah. where you have uh, the biological mother and father who are married, mm. raising these children. And, um, and so it helps fr- from an economic standpoint. It helps from a, a government standpoint. It helps from a social perspective. Um, so, uh, of course, one of the, from a theological perspective, one of my, one of my favorite uh, books to read is God, Marriage, and Family, yeah. Uh, by Kostenberger and Jones. It's, a great, um, great it's great an book. excellent book um, that will talk about the theological perspectives on yeah. these things as well.
0: That's right. Um, so currently we are meeting at the ETS annual meeting in Atlanta, Georgia. and Which uh, I
1: affectionately call a nerd convention. Nerd
0: convention, that's right. It's like this whole week, you know, AR and SBL are next week, so it's like peop- nerds of the world unite, you know, that's evangelical right. nerds of the world unite. Um, and so one of the things I was doing um, in prepping for this interview is I was looking at some of your recent work, um, and some papers you've published. And a paper that you published a couple years ago is titled The Forgotten Virtue of Friendship, Thomistic Friendship and Contemporary Christian Ethics. And I was really kind of interested in that, and so I was, I was curious if you could maybe talk about what does maybe Thomas have to teach us about, <laughs> about friendship and also to um, how can we, or, or I should say, why is friendship crucial um, to the Great Commission? Why, why is it crucial for evangelicals to cultivate good friendships? So, yeah.
1: Yeah, uh, well, that, uh, that paper that I presented uh, at ETS a few years ago um, is actually part of my dissertation uh, that I wrote, uh, and so I was, I was dealing with, um, in that part of my dissertation, dealing with uh, Thomas Aquinas and his, uh, what, he, what he wrote on friendship and how it, how it intersected with, um, with Christian ethics. And uh, and so it, what Thomas can teach us a is what we have done very poorly in an American society. We're very individualistic. Mm. Um, it's all about me, what I want. Um, versus uh, if you look at Scripture and you look at how uh, relationships are described, there's uh, a focus on community, mm. and uh, and so Thomas deals with that as a friendship, uh, using the the Latin term caritas, mm. um, sometimes translated love or charity. And uh, he describes it as friendship, and so he talks about the relationships that we have, uh, even kind of building what I would describe as concentric circles of mm. friendship. And so you have your innermost circle, and it, it keeps moving out. Um, but within those circles of friendships, ultimately you get to enemies mm. are still within that circle of friendship, huh. and now it's at the it's far really reaches of, of those <laughs> uh, of those concentric circles. But still, and but again, he's, he's getting that from yeah. the command that Jesus tells us to love our enemies. Mm. And uh, and so so it's this idea of friendship that uh, we have we have really abandoned in large respects in uh in an American society because uh we want to be so focused on the individual. Um we don't know our neighbors. Mm. Uh you you live in a community and and you may not know your neighbors, the people who live right next door to you. Yeah. Um, you uh we have forgotten what it means to have Close personal friends that we can trust, um, that we can confide in, and um, and that uh, that will hold us accountable to the things that we say mm. we're going to do and the things that we say we believe. Um, the uh, the primary location for this for believers is the church. Mm-hmm. But how many times do you go to church and you sit down in the same pew mm. that you've sat in for the last ten years? And outside of maybe a couple of people in your Sunday school class or your small group, mm. um, you really don't have any relationships with any of those people. Mm. Well, that would have been completely foreign mm. in a New Testament context, mm. and um, and so a lot of that results from this idea that we don't we don't understand the idea of friendship, mm. um, how to relate to one another, how to love one another, as Scripture commands us to love one another, mm. and um, and I think if we would. If we could recover that idea of friendship, um, we would find stronger families, mm-hmm. stronger churches. We wouldn't have these conflicts in our churches about, you know, the, the style of music that we like, yeah. or, you know, I, I really don't like the color of the carpet, or I prefer, I prefer theater-style seating over pews. Mm. Those types of things become ridiculous in the context of the relationships of friends. Yeah. You look past the things that the things that really don't matter, that you might disagree on, and you're united on, uh, on the larger issues, and, uh, and you're, you're joined together in true friendship. and that, that's really what we need to strive for in the yeah. church today. Yeah. And there's even a sense in which the New Testament
0: kind of assumes, um, even for the body life, that we need to be friends. Yeah. You know, if, if we're going to fulfill kind of this idea that we're this working body that's working together. Um, with all of our giftings, there's kind of an assumption there that you actually like the people that you're, <laughs> that you're, you know, covenanted to. Yeah, and, so. and
1: you, you can go to uh, to 1 Corinthians 12, for example, and and look at the body, and you see the different the different members of the body, but we're all one.
2: Mm.
1: We're all working together, and when when a a quote unquote less respected part of the body is damaged. It's all parts of the body that come to its aid. That's right. So there's not there's not this hierarchy of oh, okay, well that person doesn't really matter. Mm. You know, in, in the in the, using the metaphor of the body, even even the little toe matters, mm. and it, you don't have to have an injury to the head for there to be a problem. That's right. You can have an injury to the little toe, and there can be a problem, mm. and um, and so the whole body comes comes to the aid, and uh, of that one that is hurt, and yeah. uh, and so that's. Uh, we don't do a very good job of it. That's right. Today.
0: Yeah. Well, Evan, one more question for you. Uh, what's next? Are you presenting any papers at ETS? What are you hoping to maybe see at ETS? Um, yeah. What's next?
1: For yeah. You? Um, I am presenting a paper uh, on Wednesday afternoon. I'm presenting a paper entitled "Is It Adultery? Uh, the Use of Third Party Gametes in Assisted Reproductive Technology." So okay. it's <laughs> the uh, asking the question of if if you're going to use. Uh, donor sperm and or eggs mm. in um, assisted reproductive technologies like in vitro fertilization, um, does that amount to adultery? Mm. And, uh, and you know, I'll give you a little bit of insight. Um, my conclusion is that it is. Mm. It actually violates uh, three purposes of marriage. It violates the fidelity of marriage mm. because you've brought a third party into uh, the marriage, even though you, intercourse is not taking place, but it's still biological reproduction is still a sexual process, Mm. um, even in a lab setting. Um, And then it also violates the the procreative aspect of marriage Mm. because procreation is designed from the beginning to happen between the married man and woman. Mm. And so now procreation is happening between two people who are not married. And then finally, it violates the unity of marriage. Mm. And so, the, the unity of marriage we see in Genesis two twenty four the the one flesh union um, is this idea of no matter what the circumstances, mm. we're still bound together. Mm. And if if I am deficient in one way or you are deficient in another way, that doesn't mean that our that we have to seek to rectify those deficiencies outside of our marriage. Mm. And um, so I'm making the making the case that uh, that it is adultery.
0: Yeah, well, it sounds very uh, interesting.
1: And then beyond that, I yeah. just I enjoy being here. I get to I get to run into some former students. Yeah. Um, I get to run into former classmates yeah. uh, who are spread across the country. Um, and yeah. that's probably what I like the most yeah. is.
0: And you get to go to the bookstore.
1: I get to go to the bookstore, <laughs> and um, and enjoy uh, enjoy all the aspects of my nerd convention because. That's right. Deep down, I'm a nerd, That's and right. and so I enjoy these types of things. We all are
0: in some in some ways. So, Evan, thank you so much for joining us on David's Audio.
1: It's great to be with you.
0: If you enjoyed today's podcast, please visit us at cbmw.org, where you will find more resources to equip you to think biblically. We would also like to tell you about an exciting upcoming opportunity at CBMW. In April, we will be hosting a T4G pre-conference, The Beauty of Complementarity. The event will feature 27 speakers in two days, including John Piper, Jackie Hill Perry, Mary Cassian, Alistair Begg, and Darren Patrick. Please visit our website for more details. Again, thanks for listening.